0: Before I started recording with Roberta, the guest for today, we were talking about the comfort that nature gives both of us. And Roberta, you mentioned golden hour as being your favorite time of day or perhaps the most comforting time of day for you. And just that word golden hour gave me this sense of peace Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I would love to know why that time of day feels so good to you and where you like to spend it or where do you most enjoy spending your time during golden hour?
1: I'm almost always out on a walk with my dog. So as we discussed before the interview, I live in Denver, Colorado. So right now in the summertime, that means eight o'clock at night that we're out during golden hour but in the winter, it could be 3.30 in the afternoon. So that time of day for me is almost like closing time, if you will. Things are starting to shift from activity to coming more inward, drawing into your home, mealtime, nurturing, nourishing. In the summer, obviously, I've already eaten, but then when I come in, it's preparing for bedtime. So I have a whole evening ritual that I do at the end of each day before going to bed, and I usually start that. What I love the most about that time of day, about golden hour, is how the light is consistently changing. And any direction that you look, it will be coming through the trees a little differently. It will be putting this hue of gold color across the fields of grass if you look up into the sky, the sunset has so many different colors and from golden hour to the time the sun is gone, it's just a new experience over and over and over again. Yeah,
0: that's so beautiful. <sighs> and it's interesting as you're sharing that, I feel like so many people focus on morning rituals, their morning routines, mm-hmm. preparing for the day. But I wonder how many people focus a lot on the evening, you know, wrapping things up and just kind of reflecting on the day. Do you find that to be true with the work that you do, that evening is maybe not as focused on? Maybe perhaps people are almost in recovery mode at the end of the day?
1: I like that you said that word, recovery mode. I think for most people, the end of the day is just this, thank goodness it's over, (laughs) where for me, it's this whole winding down process and it's a delightful time of day because it's almost like you get to be who you are and not who you need to be in the world. So I think for a lot of people, there's not that knowing of who they are and what makes them truly joyful and happy and peaceful. So the evening hours tend to be more about distraction until they have to go to bed. Yes, that's so interesting because I'm a
0: a night person a night owl, as some people would say. And I love the evening so much. And also when you were talking about golden hour and how that time changes depending on the seasons and how I love it when it's really light out at 8 p.m. That brings me so much joy. When it gets dark early, usually in Los Angeles, it'll be 4.30 or 5 p.m. I feel sad because I tend to stay up late. So Having that light out makes me feel like I'm full of abundance. And I've often reflected on why I feel so alive at night. And generally, I feel like that's because I feel this space, as you mentioned, to be myself. I feel a sense of peace. I feel generally, especially if it's very late, there's very few people awake and so I get to recover. I get to, as you also mentioned, truly be myself. And that's interesting because it makes so much sense as you share that why I feel so compelled to stay up. I've also felt that when I get up early, you know, a lot of people love that when they get up at sunrise or before sunrise and they feel that sense of peace. And I noticed that as well, but I don't feel called to that as much. And I'm curious about you. Like, what's your preference? Do you prefer the evenings? Prefer the mornings? Do you like a mix of the two?
1: I definitely prefer evenings. I have always wanted to be a person that got up before sunrise. <laughs> and I've made peace with the fact that it's not really who I am. It doesn't resonate with me. There will be times that I will make myself get up early to go do a workout if I know I'm not going to be able to get it in during the day. And I've really been intentional about that just recently because I was noticing for a client, I would always say, oh, sure, I can do that early appointment. But then I wouldn't wake up for myself to get my workout in. And I had to look at that and say, well, why am I saying yes to someone else but no to myself. So that's been a new practice. (laughs) I love that. Why am I saying yes to someone else? But
0: I'm typing this as (laughs) because I don't want to forget. Why am I saying yes to someone else but not to Myself. myself? Yeah. That is a beautiful question. And I imagine many of us are used to saying yes to others. Although I have gone into this practice of setting more boundaries and time as and sleep. And my specific schedule has been one of them. And like you, I spent a lot of my life feeling like I should, and I don't want to put the words in your mouth, but for me, it was, I should wake up early. I want to wake up early. And I felt a lot of pressure from that. And it, also brought up shame within me because mm. i felt like something was wrong with me or a lot of people perceive it as being lazy if you wake up later but over time i realized like well it's not that i'm doing less than other people i'm just doing it on a different schedule yeah. and even if i am relatively doing less than others that's okay because i'm doing what i need to do i'm meeting my own needs and if I have a day where I only get a few things done, that's okay because those things may be what's most important that day. Mm -hmm. And I think so many of us feel all this pressure to live in alignment with other people's expectations. And if that doesn't bring us joy, then it doesn't feel like it's serving much of a purpose.
1: (laughs) I agree. And for me, it's definitely seasonal. The way that you mentioned... The longer evening hours really bring you joy and abundance. In the winter, for me, that's hibernation time. And if I wake up at 6 a.m. and it's still pitch black, my body wants to be at rest. And sometimes I will put on a lighted candle and sit and meditate at that hour. But I'm probably not going to get in my car and go pound out a workout at 6 a.m., in the winter hours. In the summer hours, I've been these past few days getting up at 5:30 and going for a 6 a.m. workout, but it's bright and sunny and it's like, okay, the day has started, so I can too. But in the industry that I've worked in, I'm glad that you brought up the word shame. You know, especially in the fitness industry, people will say, well, if it matters to you, if your health matters to you you need to get up at 4 a.m., you need to get your workout in. And there is a lot of shame around that. And so if you're not a morning person and you continue to fail and fail and fail, there's not a lot of room of empowerment or confidence or courage to start changing your habits in a way that they fit your life. Yes.
0: And it is interesting how we do get a lot of that messaging. I had some guests on the show recently who talked about how detrimental some of these sayings can be in the fitness industry and how important it is for fitness instructors to be very mindful of their words. And I think that it just gets passed down through training, you know, all these ways of encouraging people. They think that maybe. By shaming somebody or telling them how they should live, what, how they should move their body, what time they should do things, our society starts to think that's the best way to do it. But if we don't tune into our internal rhythm, then we're not fully in sync. And like you, there are times where I feel great getting up early in the morning, for example, for travel that is absolutely worth it. I will, I will get up anytime, literally. If I need to catch a 7 a.m. flight, I will be up at 4 a.m. ready to get to the airport. You know? And I feel this different side of myself come out because I feel motivated and it, it has a purpose for me. But if I need to get up at 4 a.m. for a work meeting, I'm going to feel awful. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't yeah. serve that same purpose. It doesn't light me up. And workouts, I have mixed feelings because I used to take, um, I think it was a 6 a.m. workout class, and I had to get up around 5 for that. And I felt purposeful of it because I loved that class so much. Like, even though I didn't enjoy waking up that early, it was always worth it for me. And mm-hmm. yet, now that I no longer take that class, it, it's kind of hard for me to think back to those days <laughs> that I used to do that. <laughs> because I guess the purpose has shifted for me or my priorities perhaps have shifted too.
1: And maybe the community also. I think what I'm hearing you say is purpose and meaning is what connects us to something. And sometimes that something is a temporary moment in our life. And it's there for a reason and a purpose, but We evolve and we grow and something new comes in. So it doesn't mean you're not a good person anymore because you're not still doing that thing. In order to change and grow, we need to keep looking for the newness that has a purpose for us. Or we can just keep doing the same thing for the rest of our lives and not evolve and not grow.
0: Absolutely. And that reminds me of something I saw in the summary of your work when I was looking over at everything that you do. And there was a question in there that followed a bunch of statements, uh, some facts about how people do and do not take care of themselves. One that really stood out was among Americans 25 years of age and older, 6.6% are engaged in health related self care each day. And I found that stat really shocking 6.6%. Yes.
1: And on the flip side of that, 87% have the intention to practice self-care.
0: Wow. And the question following both of those statistics was, why do we wait to take care of ourselves? And I'm curious, in your work, what are you coming across as the reasons why people might have an intention for something but don't actually do it?
1: It's going back to what I said about me waking up to go out for a workout. People will say yes to everybody else, and they'll say no to themselves in a drop of a hat. I see so many people put things on their calendar. Okay, I'm going to start this class. I'm going to start doing this for myself. The second opportunity arises to take something that's work-related, or a friend needs them, or a family member needs them. They cancel out themselves very first, but they won't cancel any of the other appointments on their calendar. Wow.
0: You know, it's interesting you bring that up too, because it reminds me of something I heard during a retreat that I was at a few weeks ago in in Costa Rica. And towards the end of the retreat, the participants were having a discussion around how do we continue some of these self care practices that we engaged in for that week. And that answer came up there where you had to prioritize yourself in your schedule. And mm-hmm. it was this moment with the group where I could feel this collective sense of reflection and pause. Oh, maybe I don't prioritize myself as much as I prioritize a work meeting. And to your point, it's easy for a lot of us to say yes to anything that is Centered around income or our jobs. You know, well, if, if I hold myself accountable to this person that is getting me where I want to go financially, that is helping me get closer to my version of success. So it's very easy to stay on track, to be on time with that. And it's also very easy for us to cancel things for ourselves. To delay sleep, for example, I hear this all the time, you know, people really struggling with sleep. And I actually think this was something you posted on social media, Roberta, about mothers and how much women, I don't know if I wrote this down, but it was around female parents or people in the role of a mother, I should say, who were really struggling. And I, I want to bring this back to you to, <laughs> so that I don't botch your words, but sure. what is it that uh, mothers tend to go through when it comes to self-care and things kind of getting in the way of taking care of themselves?
1: Yeah, I want to answer that. But I also, before we skip over it, go back to your re- reference to the retreat setting, because I too have done retreats in my life. And I think a lot of people are drawn to that retreat setting because they do need to take a break. They need to regroup. They need to reset. And it is so important at the end of the retreat to think about, okay, now what? How am I going to bring a little bit of this back into my life? Because you get so immersed in it on retreat, but then it fades away so quickly once you get back into your life, even if you have the intention. But just beginning to say, okay, I'm going to prioritize myself. Well, what does that really mean? And what are you willing to do to make yourself a priority? Just like creating a savings account, how are you going to create your spiritual investment account and make sure that you're feeding it and nourishing it every single day, even if it's just for a few minutes? So that's what I love to teach people how to do and hold them accountable because as you know, time is our most precious resource, and it's so easy to slip back into natural patterns of giving our time to everybody else when we come back into real life from a retreat. And that kind of segues into motherhood, really. Like the whole motherhood journey, to me, is an opportunity to be curious about how well you can stay in a place where you keep yourself a priority, When you're a mother, a parent, um, fathers, you know, stay-at-home dads probably experience the same thing. Most of my experience is with women. But children require so much energy. And your day begins when your first child is up and when your last child goes to bed. So you really have no control over what those times will look like, especially if you have multiple children. At different ages and stages of life. I just spoke with a woman today who has her youngest is four and her oldest is 16. And my children were four and a half or are four and a half years apart. So that's pretty close together. But people who have children who span the ages, you know, young children are not good sleepers. (laughs) So they're probably visiting you at night. You're not sleeping consistently. Maybe they're in your bed with you, sleeping, kicking you, pushing you, and you're getting tumbled and turned all night long and not rested. And then your 16-year-old is now driving, so you're not going to bed until you know that they're home safely, which on a weekend night could be 12 o'clock, depending on what time their curfew is. So I think parenting and motherhood is like the boot camp of life. It really teaches you how to either take care of yourself and be available to take care of your children, or you're just wired and tired and hoping to get through each day. I'm really fascinated by
0: motherhood. I don't have children, and I don't know if I will have them. I'm interested in that experience, though, even from an outsider perspective, uh, seeing my friends as mother specifically I, I guess i certainly know me- i have male friends that are fathers but it has seemed to me that my female friends who have children have shifted so much and i sense so much weight on them mm. and you're absolutely right when i've spent a lot of time with them for example if i visited a friend and i'm i'm there for several days just seeing their lives and how they are in the morning. When friend comes to particular, I was visiting for, I think, four or five days. And every morning, we would get up at the same time, and I would see her first thing and what she was like before the children woke up. And then the children wake up, and I would see the energy shift and then the movement towards getting them to school and then what she was like when they were at school and she had time and what she was like when they came home and and the evenings and just kind of the fluctuations in, in her personality and noticing how quickly time went by and how it seemed like there was just not a lot of time for self-care. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the general description that I hear from mothers. And I'm just so interested is, is that the way that it just is? Does it have to be that way? Is there a way that you can find more time in that day for self-care or is it truly that you're in this role for however many years your children need you to be in that role and you're kind of putting yourself mostly on pause or is there a way to truly find a balance in which a mother or a father get a deeper sense of self-care than maybe they feel like they can achieve?
1: It is a choice that you get to make. And most people don't realize that there's a choice. I think most people are just running on automatic pilot, getting through the day, hoping that their kids get through the day safely, healthy, they're in bed, they're sleeping, and then you finally get to sleep. Early stages of parenthood especially, that's how it goes. But you can choose to be intentional. And I did this kind of by accident as a young parent, My ex-husband was in the military and he was gone most of the time. So I felt mostly like a single mom 80% of the time. And I realized early on that in order to have the stamina and the energy to get through a day, I needed to find ways to support myself a little bit at a time. So it's similar to what we were just talking about with the retreat it's like planting little seeds of quiet moments, little seeds of time. Our culture tends to be an all or nothing culture. And with self-care, all or nothing will only last so long. And then most people will get really sick. They'll have a nervous breakdown. They'll start to have anxiety attacks. It will take its toll. So Little seeds adding up over time will start to blossom and grow and become bigger as your children get older. And if you've already created these little time pockets, it'll be easier to expand on them. So as a young parent, that's the time to begin, even if you can only find five minutes. I was super creative when I was nursing my children. That would be my little cat nap time. When my children were napping, I had a good napper and a terrible napper. So the terrible napper, again, it could be five minutes. I would get on the floor and do one yoga pose just to nourish and restore. And then if he was up, I was back up with him. So I guess similar to, you know, a marathon runner, every so often they have to refuel, right? They can't run the whole marathon without any water or food along the way. But if they were to stop and have a giant meal, that would end their race, right? So for me, self-care is like that. It's like those little energy stations where you get a little bit of nourishment, a little bit of nourishment, a little bit of nourishment. And then over time, maybe those little bits can be a little bit longer, a little bit bigger, a little more, I don't know what the word would be.
0: (laughs) It's interesting because... I wonder if that ties into what we were talking about in the beginning about should and shame and what you need to do, all these messages where perhaps mothers or parents in general are taught that they need to put themselves aside. So it's all about somebody else. You know, like it's the opposite of that cliche statement of putting the oxygen mask on first. It's like, no, no. I'm gonna put the oxygen mask on my child or my partner before myself. We're taught that being selfless is a virtue, right? Like if you take care of other people before yourself, that means you're a good person. And maybe Mm -hmm. a lot of us are afraid to feel or be perceived as selfish. So is that why we struggle to take these little steps? But even on a literal level, People struggle to take sips of water throughout the day, (laughs) you know, like just staying hydrated, literally sipping on water is a struggle. And maybe the two experiences are connected where it's just tough to stay on track of simple things for our self-care. And I'm curious, Roberta, with your work, why do you feel like that's the struggle? Like something as basic as drinking water seems to be a huge challenge for the average person.
1: I come across so many people that tell me they don't like water, which (laughs) I just, I don't really understand that. Like, how can you not like water? I think drinking water, most self-care things are habits that we have created throughout our life by role modeling. So when I grew up, we didn't talk about self-care, but my parents were very nurturing and nourishing in different ways we always had water everywhere we went. So to me, it's not even a thought. I just have it with me. Other people who grew up drinking sodas and iced tea and, you know, beverages, really, like, to them, drinking something should be a party or, (laughs) you know, it's not really to quench your thirst or to hydrate your body. It's something to bring joy or pleasure. So maybe shifting the lens from things that you choose out of joy and pleasure versus things that you choose to nourish and nurture.
0: Unfortunately, we now have all of these different additives. You can put it like water flavoring. <laughs> and I, you know, people seem to enjoy that. But it's interesting when you said that, you know, a lot of people that don't enjoy water. First of all that immediately triggered me to drink some of my own water which you know I hear that word water and I it's just like signal to me I'm a big fan of cues visual cues so putting my water bottle next to me I'll just look I'll see it out of the corner of my eye and I take a sip and it's just become a habit as you've mentioned mm-hmm. I even have a water bottle that is connected to my phone and will alert me to drink water frequently. It's an amazing invention. <laughs> it's changed my life. And I'm somebody who really loves like meeting goals or hitting streaks. And that water bottle will like give me alerts. Oh, you haven't had your minimum amount of water today. And if I see that I missed a day of not drinking, that minimum amount of water, I feel a little frustrated. So (laughs) I like to stay like, if every day I can hit that mark, I feel accomplished. But it's also interesting to me when you mentioned that people not enjoying the taste because it gave me pause. And I thought, wow, like I don't even think of water as having a taste. (laughs) It's just like something I do. I'm not thinking about pleasure. I'm thinking about just taking care of myself. But at the same time, I'm also avoiding pain because I really don't like feeling dehydrated. I don't Mm. like that physical sensation of needing water. For instance, since I've been traveling a lot recently, I was thinking about how I went on a long walk on one of my trips and I didn't bring any water with me. And I felt this sense of panic. Oh my gosh, even though I, I knew I would survive, that sensation of not having access to water was one of those little lessons so the next time i took a walk i made sure to bring the water and it was a little inconvenient because carrying a bottle around with you is you know heavy but i preferred the heaviness of that bottle on my body versus the physical sensation of discomfort to not having it with me and mm. it's interesting how our body can give us these signals but also interesting on that same note is how some people aren't even aware of those physical signals, right? Mm -hmm. Because the average person, I think, is not drinking enough water. So their body must be telling them that they need more, but they're not even hearing those signals. And that's probably true with a lot of self-care.
1: I would almost disagree that they're not getting the signals. Because if you ask the average person, they'll say, my back hurts, my knees hurt, I get headaches all the time, I'm not sleeping well. Those are all signs of dehydration, of your body crying out for a need that needs to be nourished and nurtured. And they're getting the signals, but maybe they're going to take some Tylenol because they have a headache, or maybe they're going to take some Tylenol to make that pain go away in their body, and then they're just going to keep going into their work and doing what they need to do and moving forward and doing the things and not stopping until something bigger happens and it makes them slow down and stop. That's so, so I true. Think, sorry to interrupt. You're, you're really bringing up just the whole concept of mindfulness and self awareness. I think our bodies give us signals all of the time. It's our choice whether we listen or do we medicate and keep going on. Absolutely.
0: And It's so interesting that you say that because you're absolutely right. And maybe I I didn't phrase it properly. I do think that our body is telling us things we just might misinterpret it. And it's funny in this moment, I'm thinking, wow, I actually had a headache yesterday and my body was achy and I just thought, oh, I'm experiencing jet lag from my trip. But you know what? it did not even occur to me that I was probably dehydrated because I'm so used to being hydrated and I'm on track with it. But as you mentioned that, I started thinking, wow, I actually did not drink a lot of water on my flight because (laughs) for me, I was very concerned about getting COVID. So I was wearing my mask on the plane and I tried to drink as much water as possible before I got on the plane so that I didn't have to keep taking my mask off to drink more water. And I bet you that I just didn't get enough water because I was trying to protect myself. And, you know, when you get out of a rhythm, Mm -mm. it's easy to overlook things because you're used to them working out normally. But when we get out of our normal routine or a ritual, we might overlook things that are overlook signals and attribute them to something else. So thank you for bringing, I'm going to reprioritize hydration now that I'm back on my normal routine. And I think that ties into what you were saying about retreats, right? It's wonderful to go do something that's different and that kind of snaps you out of the way that you're used to doing things. But Even when you might be benefiting from something, you might not be prioritizing or as focused on things that are important to you because like everything is out of alignment. So, yes, Mm -hmm. I had so many benefits to traveling, but there might be some consequences as well because I felt a bit all over the place, like discombobulated and it's funny how our brain just like overlooks the most obvious things or the most common things that we do. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I think some people are really tuned into the rhythms of their bodies and others are learning. And then others have no idea how their bodies and brains are affected by conditions, by environment, by sound, by activity, all of these things have an effect on our sense of well-being, but we may or may not be aware of it. Yes.
0: And to that point too, it's travel is so interesting because for me, I think, especially during this time of, I haven't traveled on a plane for many years now because of COVID. And so I actually found myself experiencing more anxiety and tension around that than I did in the past. And I found myself more in like survival mode, right? So as I mentioned, you know, for me, survival, part of that was I don't want to get sick. So I'm going to do all these things to protect myself. But meanwhile, I might be ignoring some of my basic needs, putting them aside. And that idea of survival mode, it kind of goes back to some of the things that you were sharing about parenthood and how you might just be doing the bare minimum for yourself because you feel like you don't have enough energy to do any more of that. And I feel like so many people express that anxiety or stress, or there's not enough time, that burnout that comes up so much. And I wonder how many people feel like all they can do is survive and they can't do any more beyond that. And I'm curious, Roberta, how do you shift that if you are in survival mode and you don't feel like you have any more bandwidth. How do you find that balance in those times when you don't feel like there's any room to
1: create that balance? Something has to disrupt the cycle, whether it's you saying, I know I need to do something different. I may not know what it is, but then seek help, have conversations with people, let them know how you're feeling. And, I can almost imagine there's a person that would be able to say, hey, I know someone who can help with that. So going back to what you were talking about early on with having that sense of community, having a support system, most of us, when we start to feel like we're not managing things well, bury it in shame. Like, well, I need to be managing it better. And then the energy goes into trying to manage it better. Until things snap. So, I would say start having conversations and be honest with you know, things aren't quite feeling right to me. I don't know what it is, but all of a sudden I'm not sleeping well. I feel jittery. My heart is racing. It's hard for me to settle down. I feel like I'm on all of the time and I don't know how to regulate that. Those are very common symptoms of stress and anxiety. So, if you're ignoring them, I think most people will go see a doctor and oftentimes get a prescription. So then the prescription starts to regulate. But if conditions continue as they are, over time, that prescription is not going to be as effective. And then you might need more medicine. And this is not to say that medicine and medication does not have a place in mental health. I am a strong advocate for a person getting what they need to support their mental health and emotional health and physical health. But if you're only having one conversation, you're only going to get one pathway. So having a lot of conversations, doing your research, being curious, like, okay, this is how I'm feeling. People Google all the time, you know, if you get a cut and it starts to look a little funny, people will Google that. But if they're feeling anxious, they're really not looking deeper into it. They're thinking, what's wrong with me? And I feel like we just kind of need to normalize the conversation around these mental health symptoms that almost every single person has. There isn't shame about it, but when you're feeling them, there is a lot of shame for you. I started having anxiety attacks shortly after my divorce. I wrote a blog about this. It happened in Paris of all places. And I just felt like I'm in the most beautiful city in the world with the people that I love. And here I am. Like I was embarrassed. I felt a lot of shame. I didn't know it was happening. I felt like I should be able to control this. But when anxiety takes over your body, you do not have control. You have to find ways to ground yourself, to regulate yourself, or you need to surround yourself with people that do know how to help you out of that.
0: I'm so glad that you brought that up because I saw that in one of your social media posts. And I wanted to ask more about what that experience was like for you because you wrote that you were unaware of it at the time, but you started having anxiety attacks in 2017. So what is it that made you aware? And what was it like to feel unaware previously? Uh, How did you kind of move from unawareness to awareness with your anxiety?
1: So I feel like throughout my you know, motherhood journey, for example, even though I was doing the best that I could to take care of myself, I was still really holding the lid on tight, you know, trying to hold it all together, trying to be there for my kids, trying to show up for everybody else. And even with these little seeds that I had planted, and these moments where I could regulate, until I was out of the marriage and out of feeling like I was always the one on alert, always the one managing. And my system was given the opportunity to settle. It got really confused. And I've done a lot of work to be able to talk about this now. At that time, it just felt like a freight train, you know, was running through me. And I didn't know where all of this energy was coming from. And I didn't know how to manage it. And I felt Uncapable. There was a lot of sadness. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of frustration. And then I would be okay. And then, you know, we would go back into traveling and life and everything was fine. But then these anxiety attacks were a surprise and they would just take over in, you know, impromptu moments where you weren't expecting them. And because they were such a surprise, I wasn't able to manage because you weren't expecting it. It's not like you could be prepared for when it might strike. And I think that's the thing about anxiety is it it does strike at the most inconsistent time. You never know what the little trigger is going to be that sets your whole system afire. Once you start to notice, okay, these are happening, it's not just the one time, but it's happened many different ways, many different times. Then I started talking about it, you know, to my therapist, to my doctor. I explored all of the options. I looked at medication. I've always been a person that's very determined to do things as naturally as possible. I even had my children naturally without medication. I lost my thyroid when I was 40 and I went as long as I could without any medication to see. I only had to take out one side. So I waited as long as possible, which was 18 months, (laughs) And I probably needed medicine a lot sooner because it was hard to live that way. But I wanted to see like, okay, this other side's going to kick in. And when I finally realized it's as good as it's going to get, I knew that I couldn't function at that level. So then I started medication. So with anxiety, it was kind of the same thing. I didn't want medication to be my first choice. And I knew all of the tools, yoga, meditation, pilates, walks in nature, all of those things made me feel better. And then by talking to therapists, learning, you know that there's the trigger, like there's a sequence. So you have your trigger, it sets it off, and then the first thing to do is to reground yourself. So now I know like thinking about my feet, looking around, orienting myself because you lose orientation when you're having an anxiety attack. You're completely unaware of anything other than this energy that's like consuming your whole system. And it's kind of scary. And then the people around you don't know what's happening. Like you're not yourself and you're agitated and you're frustrated and you're, you're not yourself. Um, so learning those tools. And one thing that I learned in my exploration of this Was interesting because meditation had always been something that brought me such peace. And oftentimes I would feel that racing heart in meditation. And what I learned is that once you have a trigger for anxiety or stress, sometimes meditating with your eyes closed can trigger those symptoms more quickly. So then I started meditating with my eyes open or doing guided meditations where someone was continuously talking to me. And then that helped regulate my system. So there's never just one way to do something to get the results that you need, which is why, you know, when people are looking for help and support, it's not like, well, here's these five things, go do them and you'll feel better because it may make it worse if it's not the right thing for you. With a movement practice, the same movements aren't right for everybody at every particular moment in their life. It depends on the full picture and the full well-being of who you are and where you are and what you need. So I know I rambled on a lot. but
0: (laughs) I love that. And you said something that really resonated with me, which is this idea of experiencing something, maybe feeling shame around it, not expressing it. And so people around you don't really know what's going on. And I started thinking It feels so common for human beings to experience anxiety, but we're generally not taught what signs are showing that we're having anxiety, right? So not only do we not know that about ourselves in general, but we don't even know the signs when other people are experiencing it. And then also... Each person probably expresses their anxiety in different ways. Mm -hmm. Some people are really good at hiding it, pretending it's not there. And even going back to this idea of not taking care of ourselves, maybe we put on a front in order to convince other people that everything's okay, or whether we're embarrassed or we don't want to inconvenience them. And I felt that so much in my life. And it's really interesting to notice. The ways in which I've learned to be more grounded, uh, to pick up on my triggers and figure out how to manage it in that moment and try not to hide it from others. You know, finding the confidence to share with somebody else and be more mm-hmm. verbal about that has been really helpful. And, and certainly people can be judgmental. You know, I mm-hmm. think there's still a surprising amount of stigma around mental health, even though it, it's probably a universal experience, but it kind of reminds me of the water reference. It's like, how many people are experiencing anxiety, just like they're experiencing dehydration, but they don't recognize the signs that your body is sharing with you that, hey, like something's not quite right and you need to pause and address it. But if we don't even know, you know, hydration is pretty clear. So if we know that we're dehydrated, if we learn to listen to those signals, the answer is drink more water. But if you learn to pick up on the anxiety signals, then there's a whole other level of learning about how to deal with it. And it's Mm -hmm. not always that simple. It could be that pill, as you mentioned. There are certainly medications that you can take. I think some people turn to other forms of self medication, whether that's drugs or alcohol or whatever else that they go to. But what are some tools that you found have worked really well for managing anxiety? And I'd love to hear maybe something like quick, like let's say you're in an urgent situation, and you need maybe temporary relief. What's something that you can do to quickly feel better? And then something deeper you could do later on to address it in a bigger way.
1: The first thing like to get you out of that flight or fight moment is to orient yourself, to let your system somehow know when anxiety shows up, you're no longer present in your current place. You're with whatever triggered that anxiety. So it's usually something from your past and you're just in that moment and kind of stuck there. So the first thing to do is to reorient yourself looking around the room, sometimes just even sitting down, really rubbing your legs and getting grounded. So your legs like connected to the earth, your feet connected to the earth. If you're with somebody who you think might be having an anxiety attack, the best thing to do is to ask, are you having an anxiety attack? Because they probably do know it. And they might be able to like nod their head, yes. But it's kind of like that might be all they can manage in the moment. And so then if you're trying to help that person, just say, okay, think about your feet. Look at the things around you. What objects do you see? And then ask them to name those objects. If you're by yourself, you can say, okay, lamp, light. So you're bringing yourself back into where you are. And that will sometimes help your system settle down. Yes. And I I, actually just did this with somebody yesterday. Um, Someone called me unexpectedly, hysterically crying and couldn't breathe. And so here was another trick. I call it the birthday candle breath. (laughs) But when you're like almost hyperventilating and you ask someone to take a deep breath, there's no way they can take a deep breath. But if you ask them to exhale all their air out, there's no choice but to inhale again, right? So just, exhale all that air out. And it might be really short, but then the next one's a little bit longer, the next one's a little bit longer. So your body will start to regulate just by forcing out your exhale. And then sometimes you might even yawn, like it'll disrupt the cycle. The breath
0: is so powerful in that way. And I'm so glad that you brought that up, because that's another thing that I've been taught so many times through yoga and meditation. I have had countless classes and teachers who have guided me through all the different ways that you can breathe. And yet, sometimes I forget about that. And Just hearing you share that, I'm like, yep, she's right. In fact, during the retreat that I went to in Costa Rica, that was the common theme with all of the classes that we had as a group with our teachers, just reminding us to tune into the breath. and. It seemed to be one of the greatest takeaways from the participants, most of which hadn't really ever done much breath work, if at all. You know, mm-hmm. they, they seem to be really into fitness. In the average fitness class, they might teach you breath work in terms of endurance, you know, like how to breathe so that you can run farther or you can lift weights, whatever. But a yoga class or a meditation class centered around breathing is just like a whole nother level of it. And there was one in particular that we did uh, where it was a transformational experience of Mm. just using your breath, laying down and finding a certain rhythm, breathing at a certain pace and depth and the way that you breathe into your stomach and your lungs. And there is a circular movement of it and how that has been scientifically shown to create an altered state. (laughs) So. It was just like an amazing reminder of you have your breath at any moment. You do. And so you can always go back to that. And if you're taught some of these practices, it really can shift your entire state of being.
1: Yeah. When your mind is with your breath, thoughts subside. So it's almost impossible to be thinking and following the breath simultaneously. You can be aware that you're breathing, but if you're truly following your breath with your attention into the body and out of the body, it's hard to think like it's hard for me to speak that and do it at the same time. I can do it, you know, thoughtfully, but I don't experience the same as if I'm truly just following the breath with my attention.
0: And that kind of ties into your passion for ritual and taking Zen breaks during your work day, which is something I know that you're really interested in and helping people redefine their relationship with stress. So what are some other moments of Zen people can find beyond hydration and breathing and visual cues, looking around at things, centering yourself in that way? What else do you recommend for
1: Zen? Unplugging purposely for a few minutes at a time each day. Mm -hmm. In the summer, I've been going out on my front lawn every day for lunch and I unplug and I take my two dogs out and they play in the grass and I eat my lunch. And today my son actually, I said, would you like to come? And he said, yes. I was so excited. I was like, you're going to join us. And so he came, I put down a little blanket on the grass and it's like taking a little picnic moment during the middle of my day and then coming back in to do the things that I need to do. And in the wintertime, I have a chair that I love to sit in and drink a cup of tea. So having something that you look forward to doing in the middle of your day, that's what I would recommend. And, you know, we were kind of talking about busy moms and I remember so often being in the carpool line, you know, waiting to pick up children. And then I purposely started arriving earlier in that carpool line, and I would take a book with me, and I would read the book, or I would listen to something that brought me joy. Um, Podcasts weren't really a thing back then. My children are 19 and 23, almost 24 now. So no more carpool lines or soccer, you know, sideline waiting time. but. Even for my son's soccer practices, I would bring my dog and I would do loops around the soccer field with my dog and take walks while he was practicing. So you can be really creative about fitting time in for yourself if your priority is fitting in time for yourself. You don't have to remove yourself from your life. There are lots of opportunities within the things you're already doing to plant these little seeds and take this time for you that is a lovely
0: way to summarize uh, <laughs> not only this episode, but the work that you do. And I think that is something most of us are seeking and it it feels so simple when you describe it this way. You know, even listening to you, Roberta, as I, I said before we started recording, that your voice, the way that you speak, the words that you use are so soothing. And when you mentioned the golden hour, I just felt like, oh yes, like I can just reflect on it. And it's far from golden hour for me right now at the time we're recording, but I'm looking out my window and thinking like, okay, it's, it's wonderful out now, but just thinking about golden hour in the future just brings me joy, you know, and I look forward to it today. And I think about other times that I've experienced that in the past. So visualizing something that might not be right in front of us. And then your little reminders of taking a book with you or just enjoying time outside or sitting in your favorite chair. I mean, all of those things feel good to hear and they feel even better when we do them. And they're available to us. You know, you don't have to spend a lot of money or maybe any money at all to experience some of these things. And you can do them every single day and find joy in them and it's such a beautiful reminder.
1: I just want to add one thing. It's probably been about six or seven years ago. One of my favorite yoga teachers is Eric Schiffman, and he's the six foot, you may know him from California. He's over six feet tall, long curly hair, like surfer guy, doesn't look like a yogi, but I did my 50-hour teacher training with him and then he was in Santa Fe several years ago and I went for a weekend workshop. And at that time, yoga was probably at its height, very gymnastical, like, you know, how many things can you do with your body? And the first thing that he said on the Friday night was, the yoga is going to be so simple, but it's going to be super advanced. (laughs) and i think we have to look at self care that way because it is so simple but it feels super advanced to be able to put these things into true real practice each and every day yes that's true and i think that's such a important reminder
0: too because it's not necessarily easy even though it's simple we still mm-hmm. need to be intentional we need to prioritize it we need to create the habits for it and even drinking water as i've said multiple times i'm just amazed at how something so simple can feel like a big challenge throughout life you know yeah. or even for me who i feel like i have a great relationship with water but yesterday i probably wasn't drinking enough and it didn't even occur to me until you you brought up some of these symptoms that i was experiencing and how something that you're so used to doing you can fall out of flow with it and You just have to get back into that flow and that might not always feel so easy. So I think oftentimes we believe that if we just figure out how to do something, it'll feel easy for the rest of our lives. But it's this constant rhythm that are these ups and downs, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, an immersion
1: in the practices where the practices become rituals They're just part of who you are, not something that you have to remind yourself to do. So you begin with the habit, you begin with the intention, and the more you practice it, the more it becomes habitual. And then over time, it's just who you are and how you do things. And for you, you said, you know, you hadn't traveled in a very long time. Being on an airplane sucks all of the moisture out of your body. You know, your skin's probably drier. Like you're probably feeling it in many different ways, but you don't realize, oh, I was on lots of airplanes and, you know, it was sucking all all that hydration right out of my body. So now it's just time to replenish it. I've actually gotten to where now when I'm traveling, yesterday I just went and had IV hydration because I'm getting ready to travel to Phoenix next Saturday and I'll probably go again on Wednesday. So just pumping my system with lots of hydration. And this has been since COVID, adding in the vitamin C, the B vitamins, the zinc, you know, just really truly supporting my system. And then when I return, because I'm now coming to altitude, I'll go get IV hydration again. And I just know that that helps my body bounce back quicker, but I've learned that through practice and play. I never would have done that years ago so funny i didn't even think to do that and that's the other
0: kind of fun thing about self care is there's so many things that you can try so many little tweaks and it's all a big experiment you know and i also feel like it's so important to remind ourselves give ourselves a lot of grace mm-hmm. because i could easily sit here and go oh i should have done this i should have done it that way and i feel like travel is so humbling because it strips away a lot and I do get into a little bit of survival mode typically when I travel because I it can feel overwhelming to me mm-hmm. but in a way I learn so much from that because I figure out what's most important to me and I'm shown the things that my body needs because I become very self-aware not always in the moment but afterwards when I can reflect a lot and say oh okay like this is what was missing or this is what felt really good and also When I'm out of that routine, other things are added into my life that I don't normally have, you know, whether it's a location that I don't normally visit or things that I don't normally do, but I experience on during the travel. It's like that filled in the gaps of the rest of my life where I might have been easily hydrating or (laughs) drinking lots of water it was replaced by me doing a lot of activities and maybe forgetting to drink the water, but that's okay because I was nourishing myself in other ways. And it's just that interesting pulsation throughout our days and how it's constantly in flux. And so not being too hard on ourselves when we don't do things perfectly. I think that's an important and I don't lesson there that I think There is get. a
1: way to be perfect. Um, I think true reflection helps us have more grace. It's a tool that we can use to explore with curiosity. What could I learn from that? Like, you know, let me investigate it. Let me look deeper. And then, oh, you know, these are the things that added up to this scenario. And so next time I'm educated and I can anticipate that it could happen again and these are the things that I can do to support it or maybe even prevent it from happening. And it is, life is an experiment. So if you're trying to create a self-care ritual, some things are going to stick and work well, other things won't work for you at all. So it's not like you can compare your self-care practices to mine because you're a different human being doing different things in the world and your needs are different than mine but there may be similar things that we'll do for similar reasons that have that wonderful effect. So there is a lot of play and trial and error and curiosity in the process.
0: Absolutely. And thank you for all these beautiful reminders that you've shared and blessing us with your calming energies. <laughs> it's it's so wonderful. I feel so nourished just listening to you and very grateful that you share what you do with the world because so many of us experience different levels of stress, anxiety, burnout, and having these simple reminders about how to find more Zen in our lives and taking those breaks and prioritizing ourselves is incredibly important and you use the term seeds at one point the seeds Mm -hmm. of self-care oh i just i love that because it can be these tiny little things that create huge impact in our lives for years to come
1: yeah plant one seed a day like start with that and let it bring bring you joy you know You don't have to get up at 5 a.m. and have a meditation practice and then your workout and then your journaling and then all of the things that people say you have to do to take care of yourself because that would stress me out. (laughs) I've tried it because there are a lot of people out there that say, you know, you have to get up, you have to do all of these things before you start your day to make sure that you're a priority. I was miserable. (laughs) Like it didn't work for me. So plant one seed and let it be a joyful one. Ooh, I love that. You have so many great little
0: nuggets here. And I just feel rejuvenated speaking with you today. So thank you for planting that seed within me and the listener, and just bringing a, a big smile to my face and my heart, filling it with some extra joy today. And I feel like I can move through the rest of my day with um a little more pep in my step. <laughs> Uh, And I can't wait for golden hour. I'll be thinking about you when that happens today and probably for days to come. Well, thank
1: you for your kindness and thoughtfulness. And you really did pave the way for this to be a beautiful conversation. So you put so much care and work into the process of getting here together. And I really acknowledge you for that and appreciate it. And it's been a wonderful time together. So thank you. You're welcome. And for the listener, there is a full transcript of this
0: episode. If you want to go back to any of these words of wisdom, I was typing away a lot of notes. There'll be some quotes highlighted there for you, and you can go back and reflect uh, more visually through Roberta's words today, plus find links to her work. Uh, she's got a wonderful social media presence, as I mentioned as well. Lots of bits, nuggets of wisdom there too, and other podcasts that she has been on. So that is all in the show notes at WellEvator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com in the podcast section, you can find this episode and there will be a video there at some point as well. So you can see the visual and experience Roberta that way and take it to a whole nother level beyond the audio. So until next time, wishing you all the very best, Roberta, as well as the listener. And thanks again for being here today. Thank you.